All right, everybody, welcome. We're going to get started. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Justin Hare. You're at Theology on Tap. And if this is your first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. And um, kind of the way this evening goes is you'll see these little sheets kind of around the room. And what we'll do tonight, so I normally have my good friend Brian McGreevy, but he is, as the bishop said, living his best life now in, um, in England and in France. And he's coming back this week, which I'm really excited about. But no, he's having a great time over there on vacation. So you get a very cheap substitute. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. That. No. Um, is that me? So uh, anyways, um, we have a very special guest tonight. I'll get to him in a second. But you'll need this because we'll talk for about 20, 25 minutes, something like that. Now, on a given topic tonight, we're talking about the idea of uh, mentoring. And then at any point in the evening, you see this sheet on the top, there's this QR code. You just scan that, and you can submit any question you would like whatsoever. It doesn't have to relate to anything that we're talking about. It can be about whatever. And do we know who's going to um, moderate this? Colton. Colton's got it over there. Thanks. And so Colton will go through those. If you see questions that you like, you can actually like those, and those will go up to the top. And that's pretty fun. So we'll try to get through those, as many of those towards the end as possible. Uh, if you're still looking for seats, uh, there's a couple down there, but also, um, would you mind sitting up a little bit more? That would be great. Yeah. Thanks, Audrey. Um, well, tonight we are honored to have uh, Bishop Chip Edgar with us. And this is actually really exciting for me. I've, I got to know you a little bit over the last few years. My first real encounter, though, was when you were asking me all the questions in my ordination oral exams oh, back right. in 2018. So we're going to grill you tonight just to have that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. yeah so, um, no, but I, we're thrilled to have you. I'm especially delighted to have you uh, this evening. Uh, he's the Angl Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of South Carolina, uh, and his wife Beth is in the back. And so one of the reasons that you're probably wondering, why in the world did you ask me to come talk on mentoring tonight? Um, well, Why did you ask why, me to yeah. come talk on so mentoring? So mentoring is actually important, and I've heard from other people, you may not know this, that you've had a good mentor in your life, that you are a good mentor to other people, but it's also just worth talking about, I think, because... Uh, one of the things I hear often with young adults or college students is that there's now more than ever a gap in the relationships with people outside of your generation. I would often ask college students, how often during the week do you have conversations with people outside of 18 to 22, not your professors? And they almost always say never. And that's pretty interesting uh, and very rare or very weird now because throughout human history, I'll just read this. This is from... Um, an article and it basically said through an extended period in history two or three generations lived and worked together in tribes villages and urban communities younger people had a lifelong extended family ecosystem working alongside other adults on the hunt around the campfire in fields shops factories they had apprenticeships guilds and unions uh, in more recent centuries where younger generations would be exposed to senior influence and now, uh, that is no longer happening. We see a more, uh, A, careers are no longer quite what they were. You're seeing people have more and more jobs. They're working all over the place, working remotely. COVID's only made that happen more often. And so what you're seeing is a fracture in really human civilization where younger generations 
have less and less interaction with senior influence. And so um, neither of us are mentor experts. In fact, we kind of joke because I don't even know really how you define what a mentor is, but my best guess would be just um, somebody, uh, intergenerational friendship, right? So that's kind of when we say mentor, I'm just thinking intergenerational friendship tonight. And I'm curious to know what sort of relationships have you had that have been intergenerational friendships? Uh, curious both on the older side and the younger side. And, th and then also, how were those, how did those come about? How were they formed? So um, I'll start with um, one of those was the pastor of the little church that I grew up in. Um, and the, the relationship was formed and forged uh, really early on. Um, my mom and dad were really involved um, in this little church. It was a, a, a new church plant. Um, it had only been around for a few years. Uh, and then and part of the vision of that church plant was also planting a school. Um, and so um, my mom was uh, the first kindergarten teacher in the school. It was a school that started as a kindergarten and then the next year added first grade and then the next year added second grade. Um, and the pastor of that church who's, who had that vision, uh, a guy named Paul Alexander, um, and he played an enormous role in my life um, from the time I was really little. Um, so uh, at, at the risk of, of turning dark fast, um, when I was four years old, um, my mom and I were in a, a pretty horrible car accident. Um, I survived. She ended up not surviving. Um, but I remember the night that Pastor Paul came to our house um, to tell us, my two sisters and I, that we didn't have a mom anymore. Um, she had been in the hospital for about a month and she died. Um, and he was the one who came to the house. My dad just didn't think he could handle delivering that kind of a message to his kids. Um, and so Pastor Paul came over um, and I, I remember, I mean, I was four years old and I remember really clearly sitting on the bed in my parents' room and Pastor Paul coming in to talk to my sisters and I. Um, and so, as you can imagine, I mean, he just, he was um, a, a, an enormous figure in my life. Um, and I grew up, he was the pastor of the church that we, you know, went to. Um, he was significantly involved in the school that I went to. Um, I remember as a kid, um, as a, like a middle school and early high school kid, um, he was a huge tennis player and I wanted to learn how to play tennis. And so um, sometimes in the afternoons after school on the school tennis courts, we would play tennis together. Um, and so, um, you know, the truth is he, he simply mentored um, by investing time. You know, he was, a, he was a full grown man and I was just a dumb little kid. Um, but he gave time to me. Um, I remember there were times um, uh, the church ran a little summer camp for one week in the summer, and I uh, remember one year I was the counselor, and I remember sitting on the porch of the cabin that he was staying in, and we were having a conversation about creation. Um, and I, I don't know where it came from or how we got him talking about creation. Um, but, but, you know, from the time I was four until I felt the call to ordain ministry, um, he was the guy that um, when I was trying to work through whether or not I was called to ordain ministry, um, I, we were, Beth and I were married. We were living in the Chicago area. Um, he was in Huntsville, Alabama, which is where I grew up. Um, 
we went home to visit my parents, so I made an appointment. I went over to see him, and I said, you know, I'm trying to decide whether I am called to ordain ministry. Um, and he was the guy that talked me through that. So, so he, was, he was a mentor in the sense that he was always a presence in my life. Um, even today, like I, when I was consecrated bishop, he desperately wanted to come, but he's a, an old man now and not in good health and was just not able to make the trip. Um, so he, he watched the video and, you know, called me and, you know, we talked about, um, the consecration and everything. And, um, so, so, you know, here's this mentor in the sense of a man older than me, uh, who has just played an amazingly significant role in my life, um, in, in such a way that he's a person who, when I want input, when I want, you know, somebody to talk to, he's, he's somebody that I have gone to, to to talk about things with. Um, that's incredible. So, yeah, I have no idea. Um, but that's a great example of why we uh, would talk about something like this, uh, both clergy, is that this is ultimately a picture of what God's people, the church, can be and should be for one another. And my mind goes to uh, 1 Timothy 5, where Paul talks about this uh, intergenerational kind of bond that's there where he instructs uh, people in the church to treat older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. And there's, I've heard a lot with, in, in ministry, having like a Paul to a younger Timothy kind of relationship. But boy, I mean, your own story is a perfect example of somebody literally treating you like a, a father to a son. And, yeah. um, and just how important that is. And I don't have anything quite th that like that in, in my life, but I've been blessed by you know, both in the church and outside of the church, you know, people who aren't Christians even, but have had a tremendous impact on my life. Uh, I can remember, I, I actually, I brought uh, C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, where he talks about friendship, right? So if mentoring is like spiritual friendship or um, um, intergenerational friendship, what you have is, um, you know, when he's talking about how it's different from companionship. And so, right, it's like relationships where you're doing things with other people, whether it's at work, whatever capacity, uh, those are companions, right? Um, so he talks about this, like friendship comes out of companionship when two or more companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which others don't share and which till that moment they believe that was their own uniquely. And the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, you know, whether it's in some deep personal experience, like what you went through, um, or something not like that at all, but for me it was just, I loved playing golf growing up as a kid, and I never met anybody else who loved it as much as Jack, this older guy who has been a dear friend my whole life, but we would spend so much time together, uh, and, and now we share so many things uh, with one another, he's been somebody I've asked about, you know, even though not a Christian, still has a lot of some w good wisdom on parenting and uh, being an adult, working a job, that sort of thing. So um, that's always been one of those things that's been helpful for me. And I would also say in college, you know, yours just kind of fell on you and the one with Jack, I just happened to be playing with him that day. But there was also the sense that I really went out and tried to find a mentor. <laughs> Uh, so in college, I was given this one bit of advice, just follow the people you admire around, like, and, and just bug them, basically, until yeah. they, uh, and that, 
I'm curious if you have any relationships like that in your life that um, you know, mentors or that sort of thing. But the college minister that I was at in, in, um, in undergrad was somebody that just was willing to meet with me, spend the time, like you said. And I had a million questions he was willing to answer and be patient yeah. with me in that. So the question, did I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, tons, actually. Mostly because um, I was the annoying guy, you know, that just did that. Mm -hmm. So um, when, when I first went off to college, um, there was a guy who taught a college-age Sunday school class at the, at the big church right close to campus, and um, his, his name is Jerry Root. Actually, he's coming to, yeah. he's coming to St. Phillips in January, um, and um, he, was, he was teaching this college-age Sunday school class, and I was just the kind of guy that I just glommed onto him. You know, I, I, I made a point to sort of go up and talk to him every chance I got, uh, almost every Sunday after um, Sunday school class was over, uh, I'd be in the line waiting to ask questions or whatever, um, and and you know we have continued um, uh, a friendship to this day um, because I don't know he was nice he didn't he didn't you know sort of push me off like I would have done me um, but um, he um, he's been just an important person I mean I sought him out and then I did what that with seminary professors too um, when I was in seminary. Um, I was pretty regularly after lectures in professors' offices um, asking questions, you know, you said this, what does that mean? Um, I, I was sort of under the rubric of kind of, um, you know, drinking the cup dry while I was there. Um, but, but the net result was um, some of those turned into really strong friendships, really good mentoring friendships. When I was in seminary, there was a a professor of systematic theology named Harold O.J. Brown, um, and um, he was a he was a phenomenal old guy, stuffy Harvard <laughs> grad type, um, and um, I would just go to his office every day almost. And um, but then interestingly, he, he and his wife, um, their son had some um, um, uh, emotional, mental sorts of problems. Ended up hospitalized where he was hospitalized was close to our, uh, Beth and I were newly married and it was close to our apartment. And so Joe and Grace Brown would come once a week. It was the one day a week that they could visit him. Mm -hmm. And so they would end up staying at our apartment um, for the, they, they'd go visit him, stay at our apartment in the evening, go visit him the next morning uh, and then go back. And so um, we, we just, we grew to be close with them over that season of our lives and, and he just, to have somebody sort of that far ahead of you in the game yeah. um, who can sort of talk and give advice. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I was um, was just sort of kind of part of who I was. I yeah. just, I, I sought out and, and just sort of glommed on to the people yeah. that were kind of ahead of me in the game to yeah. try to learn what I could from them. I wish I wish I'd done more of that, I think, in seminary and um, in college too, I guess. But, um, you know, there's... I wasn't even paying attention in college. Exactly. <laughs> I was wasting a lot yeah. of time and my parents' money. There you go. Um, so. Not the first. There you go. Um, so, yeah, the idea of, like, the importance of seeking out, I think, somebody, but also recognizing that there's got to be some organic way that this comes about. And there's another C.S. Lewis thing where he talks about, um, you know, just, just that, that quote where it's basically you, friendship is discovered. It's not just through mutual effort that it, it works all of a sudden. There has to be this kind of, it's a gift. It's really... 
not something you can force all the time. And I think that's one of the things I see when people try and find mentors, like, we've got to make this work. And it, oftentimes, just there's so much pressure on either side, and it's, uh, it can be really awkward there. But just the, the freedom, and when both sides kind of reciprocate, like, okay, yeah, this, this works out. But the freedom to say sometimes, you know, this maybe isn't working. That's not anything personal. But friendship truly is a gift from the Lord in that. Yeah. I'm curious uh, if you've had any mentor that's disappointed you. I think oftentimes we can think about uh, longing for a mentor in such deep ways that we have really high expectations. Uh, and if that's too hard of a question to think of, like somebody who's disappointed you, maybe in the people you've mentored, uh, have you disappointed them in ways? Yeah. And, and what, yeah. have you, what have you learned from Consistently, that? <laughs> um, I think. Um, well, um, I'm having trouble coming up with somebody who disappointed me. Yeah. Um, which, as I you know, to think about that, that's a that's a pretty amazing gift. Hmm. Um, I can think of um, somebody that I think I disappointed pretty significantly. Um, we, one of the characteristics of our family life and um, our, my home with Beth. Uh, has been that we've always kind of had a, a, just kind of an open home. Um, we've always had people living with us. We've had college students live in our home. Um, uh, we, we have guests in routinely. I mean, we, we just have kind of a sort of a, a highly trafficked home. Our kids grew up um, around college students, um, and that was a great gift to them. Um, but there was, there was a, a time when um, uh, we were asked to invite a young man. Uh, he was actually in my. He, he was in Chase's class, Beth Terrence. So he was a uh, my, my my oldest son Chase was in middle school, and there was this boy in his school who um, did not have a dad, um, and uh, his mother was very very ill. Um, went into the hospital, and the the school social worker was trying to find out something to do. Um, for Terrence, and um, I, I don't know, I think Beth's reputation as somebody who just welcomed people in, preceded her, and, and so we were asked um, about Terrence, and so we took him into our home for, I don't know, six months, maybe, seven months, um, and um, and it, it, I think it was, it was a relationship that I think Parents really hoped, and I think we hoped, um, might be a much more long-term relationship. Um, but there were a lot of events that conspired um, to make it not work out that way. Um, and I think if you found Terrence today, um, he would tell you that I let him down, um, and I would tell you that I probably did let him down. I mean, there was um, there, there were there were ways in which he needed me to be. There for him and, and present to him that I just didn't have the capacity to be, or life was such that, that I couldn't do it, you know. Yeah. And um, and so you know you, you you go through life, you get to, to my age, and you certainly do have these sort of moments that you can point back to and go, you know, that was a huge failure. I, I, I'd give anything for a do-over for that. Um, you don't get do-overs yeah. too often, um, but um, but yeah, I think I think what could have been. And what actually was, um, where we're just way so far apart. Yeah. So it is funny. I would agree with you. It's when in thinking back on the people who've been uh, mentors, friends in my life of a different generation, I can rarely think of a time where they've 
disappointed me, you know, but I can sure think of a number of times that I have disappointed others who, just like you said, the capacity thing. But actually, um, you know, I'm going to throw something that you probably don't remember saying, but it was in four years ago in the ordination oral exams that I had that you shared this. I haven't forgot it yet. Um, so, but it was, you know, the idea that in life and in ministry, which is, you know, our vocation, we are going to have opportunities where we have, we're going to have times where we have to be away from our family, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there'll be something that comes up in church that, that we have to be there for. But then you, you encouraged me to think about with, you know, I've got three kids at home, to, to sacrifice something in my ministry so that my children see it and that they know that's how much they mean to me. And it, you know, it doesn't have to be something crazy, but I think you mentioned like you could have been at a vestry meeting and you missed it so that you could go to your son's baseball game or something like that. And um, I remembered that as like a mentor to me in some ways that actually is really true. And boy, yeah, I think there's been plenty of times where people have wanted more time and I said, no, 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 I think I'd, I'd really need to remember that those in my home especially. And, you know, this is, a, this is just doing life with people of a different generation. You're not that much older than me, but like, of a, different, of a different generation, right? But Don't sell yourself. Where <laughs> you, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of these things. And this is where so much, this is why I think, it, I love what you said when we were talking about this. Like, um, I wouldn't consider myself a great mentor because I have no idea what I did in those relationships <laughs> with people who said I was their, their a good mentor. And I think there's something so refreshing in that. And we, we don't, um, it's really just more creating a friendship, talking about the big things in life. You know, what does it mean to be a dad? What does it mean to be a parent? How do you live in this world and work a job and that sort of thing? Really basic things that, like I said earlier, less and less people have because they're working transient jobs, they're working remotely. There's not that natural um, connection in, in various places. So I appreciated that, and that was one little nugget, I guess. But what would you say in closing, uh, what advice, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of questions, but um, what advice would you give this generation of people who are in this world um, and they're living disconnected lives? What would you encourage them with when it comes to friendships with people outside their generation? Yeah, I mean, I, I would encourage you to find somebody who's farther down the road than you are. Um, and, and that can be farther down the road um, in terms of family life. You know, so, somebody, if, if you, if, you know, if you're looking down the road and thinking like, I, I want to get married, I want to have kids, I want to be a mom, I want to be a dad. Um, and um, and you, you see somebody that you think, well, I, I admire what they're doing. I, I, I like the way they're raising it. I like the way their kids act when they're out in public or, wh or whatever it is. Um, don't be afraid to glom on to them. I mean, don't be afraid to go and, and, and introduce yourself and, and talk to them. And, and you don't have to say, like, I would like you to mentor me and parent me. Just probably don't know. say that. Yeah, don't say that. That's actually not a good start. Um, but just, you know, so try, try to get to know them. Try to, you know, kind of learn from them. Um, and, and you can learn so much by watching. You know, like you don't have to, you don't have to have an hour where you sit down, you know, with a, an agenda for the meeting or whatever. Uh, in fact, I remember, um, gosh, there, there was a, uh, a South American theologian named, I, I think his name is Juan Carlos Ortiz, and he wrote a book called Disciple. Um, and, and he begins the book by telling the story about, you know, a young man who was studying for the ministry came to him and said, you know, I, I want to apprentice myself to you as a disciple 
would you be willing to do that? And he said, sure, we have an extra room, you know, move in. And so the guy moved in. And uh, a couple weeks go by, and then a month goes by, and then a couple months go by. And, um, and finally, the, the young man goes to him and says, you know, uh, Dr. Ortiz, you know, the whole idea was that you were going to mentor me, you know, and I, I've been here for three months and nothing. And he goes, what do you mean nothing? You've been watching me live life every day for three months. Hmm. Like, like, what more is there, you know? Um, and so just watching, like being intentional about watching people who are further down the road than you are, watching them live life. Every now and then you'll get a chance to ask a question, you know? Hmm. Um, but, but also remember, you know, there are people, you know, back on the other side from you um, who are looking at you going down the road um, and who are thinking, I want to be like her or I want to be like him. Um, uh, you know, I like the way um, that they, they, they never seem like they're too busy or they never seem like they're preoccupied. Um, like this guy, Jerry Root, that I was mentioning, um, the, the first lesson from him that I learned, and, and I have to say I did not learn the lesson well, but the first thing that I noticed about him that, that made me really, really want to be like him um, is, you know, as a college student, he was teaching the Sunday school class. It was a big church, a lot of students in the class. The demands on his time were high. But I remember, like, talking to him after church one Sunday, um, and um, his son Jeffrey came running up to him. Jeffrey's a little bitty guy. And, um, and, and he came running up to him, and, and Jerry was talking to me. And Jerry had this quality that when you were talking to Jerry, you were the only person in the world in Jerry's. Like, he just had this capacity to make you feel like you were all that there was. And so his little son Jeffrey comes running up, and, and um, he put his hand on Jeffrey's head, and he kept talking to me for a minute. And then he turned, and he, he, said, he said to me, he said, excuse me, just for a minute. And he turned and he said, okay, Jeffrey, what do you need? And so Jeffrey asked him a question and he answered it or whatever. And what I noticed was that he had been talking to me and, and like I said, I was like the only person around. Like he, I had his full attention. But then when he said, excuse me, he turned to Jeffrey and Jeffrey had his full attention. That there was nothing else in the world more important than his son Jeffrey. And so he talked to Jeffrey and he helped Jeffrey, you know, took care of what Jeffrey needed. And then he came back to me. And suddenly, again, I was the person. And, and I just remember thinking, to be able to give another human being that level of your attention when they're right in front of you, I, I want to learn how to do that. Um, I, I'm sad to report I stink at doing that. Um, but, but that was one of those things that I noticed about him, and I just said, I want to be like that. I want, you know? And so I pursued getting to know him. That's incredible. So, yeah. Oh, that's good. Isn't it interesting? Like going back to your living with somebody, it's usually in people's homes. When I think back in the people mm-hmm. that have been influenced my life, it was around food and it was in their home often. Like it's the common denominator often. So um, that would be some of what I would say is, you know, if, if friendship comes out of companionship, companions are doing things together. And so doing sometimes being around like food, and just doing life together is a great place to start. The other bit of encouragement I would give is don't write off certain people because maybe they're not the flashiest or anything like that. Like usually the people who are have the most character are working behind the scenes, doing things, and that's who you want to emulate in your life. These the folks with the robust character that you may not may not be like the flashiest out there, but um, 
that that really that's who at least I've really wanted to try and model my life around and and when you can get in their homes you see wow who they are usually those folks are the same in their home as they are out of the home yeah. and that's a kind of like you I wish I was more like that you know so well I hope some of that was helpful I'm curious to see how we're doing on questions Colton If everybody could take a moment to just go in and like the questions that they would um, <coughs> like to hear answered, um, we will go ahead and get started. Uh, we're at zero. <laughs> no, we do this every week. Don't worry. Right, right. We, we, we might inspi- have zero. I inspire that in people all the time. Yeah, no, I got no. that. One. We should actually say that. So we give yeah. people a chance to actually stop and reflect intentionally. You haven't stopped them. Ooh. looking at that the whole gaze and attention thing that's definitely one of those things that's so big with my children I think I read it somewhere but like the the image of God in people and caring for that with our eyes and giving people that sense of work that that they have by simply being God's image yeah and so often I mean it's funny we're intentionally texting in questions but uh, the amount of times I'll be on the phone around my children and uh, daddy, daddy, and I want to put my gaze on them, you know, and that's one of the, the habits I'm trying to get into is just being intentional about turning off the phone in the evening so that that gaze is important there. And yeah. I would have never known that had I watched other people kind of have that ability to, to give that full attention. Right, right. I'm glad you shared that. Okay, so our first question, which got 17 upvotes, so t- somebody, t- what does that mean? A question got upvotes. <laughs> like none of those were. I mean, I know what the word question means. I'm kind of I'm lost after that. So right. if you have the ability to go in when somebody asks a question, the question's anonymous, but people can go in and like it. Just like you would on Facebook. Ah, tricky, tricky. So they can all see all right. each other's questions. And they can pick the ones that, oh, I wish I want to ask that too. And so they'll like it and it goes up. So this, this is like my old man moment, right? Okay, just so I'm, I'm aware of it too, right? Like everybody's in there going like, oh my gosh. And I, it's endearing. This yeah. is great. Yeah, no, yeah thank good. you. Yeah. <laughs> You're going, like, oh, isn't he so cute? He's so completely out of touch. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I now know what upvotes mean for a question. A lot of my conversations with my mentor turn into therapy sessions. Is that how it's supposed to be? What kind of conversations should I seek to have? Yeah. Um, you want to go for it? I'll take a crack. Yeah, it. go for it. So, so going back to the the great Lewis quote about friendship, you know, it's um, that sort of like I, you know, find somebody else who's looking at the same thing that I'm looking at, um, who's interested in the same thing. Um, I think what happens with therapy is that the conversation becomes about you, right? And so suddenly the person who's mentoring you has to talk to you about you. And really what you want from a mentor is somebody who can help you talk about something else, talk about that thing that brought you together to begin with. Um, so, you know, whether that's a professor and the, and the topic is a class or whatever 
Um, and, and it's hard. I mean, it, it's hard for us to, to get the focus off of ourselves, right? I mean, we spend an awful lot of time thinking about ourselves. Yeah. Um, but, but I think the, the magic of a mentoring relationship is that it's not so much about you. I mean, there will be moments where that has to be the case, but, but it's really about, okay, what's this other thing that we're both looking at? Um, and that and that you're further down or more adept or are further along or better educated than am I, that you can help me move towards. Mm -hmm. That's a great, yeah. In some ways, I wanna, how people define therapy is very interesting. I'm, if it's like, okay, he listens well to me, that's great. Like, I would mm -hmm. hope that somebody's gonna listen well, right? But uh, that quote is so good. I wish I could, Lewis, he, um, this is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. <laughs> it's just like, wow, okay, he didn't pull any punches there, okay. But he, he's saying exactly what you said about when, when people who simply want friends for the sake of friends or want a mentor for the sake of a mentor, it can so often just turn inward. And we're already in a world that's so focused on the inward stuff that you do, um, you're, you're looking ultimately to, to Jesus Christ and the way he's designed the world. And so that's kind of, you're facing one another, but you're constantly turning back to that, I think. Um, so that's kind of how I'd answer that. I hope that's, yeah. I wouldn't say, it depends on how you're defining therapy, I guess. But the listening component, very important. But there also is a time and a place to absolutely essential to turn uh, to face that thing that you're both after. Does mentorship have to be intergenerational? What if my mentor is just a few years older than me? Well, given that you're just a few years older than me, I mean, I would say that <laughs> absolutely. No, I mean, it doesn't have to be. It's less about the age, more about wisdom. Just because you're older doesn't mean you have more wisdom. You know, you can be a couple years older and way further down the line in life. Uh, in, in so many of the big things, vocation, family, marriage. So I think that's, yeah, that's pretty straightforward in that one, I think. Yeah. Is there a reason mentorship is primarily with someone of the same gender? If so, why? And does it matter? That's a great question. Do you want to ponder it? Yeah. I can give it a crack if you want. Uh, yeah, I, again, so I just kind of reread the chapter on friendship and Lewis's four loves. And he basically said, you know, uh, when you have friendship with the opposite sex, it almost inevitably does go towards eros or erotic love. And that's not necessarily bad because you shouldn't always live into your desires, right? But if you are married or if you do have that, like, you need to be aware and there is wisdom and not having, like, really deep emotional friendships, I think, with the same, or a person of an opposite sex, basically because of that constant temptation. Now, at the same time, I would say um, there is still an absolutely vital role of having friends of the opposite sex, I think, uh, and particularly when it's in a professional context that the way in which you do that, A, I would want to make sure that there would never be any sort of slanderous, you're being above reproach, the idea that nobody can make a claim that something's going on there. So where you do it, how you do that, can be really important, um, and it also honor it just honors one another's spouses potentially, and that sort of thing. That's kind of a really terrible answer, but you get there's a lot of different parts of that. I guess. What would you say? So as I'm as I'm trying to think about it, um, 
you, you know, one of the things that all of these mentors that I've mentioned uh, contributed to me, to my life, um, was a vision of what it is to be a man, um, to, to be um, responsible, um, to, to be uh, reliable to your spouse um, and your kids, um, to be um, reliant in the sense of like you know I'm, I'm making my way in the world and and, um, and and I'm I'm able to manage my myself and my home. Um, th those those sorts of things that um, that that even when we were talking about theology or or literature or sports or whatever those things were that um, these mentors contributed. Um, they, they were always in some measure modeling for me what it looked like to be um, a, a, a grown man, um, responsible for myself in the world. Um, and so, so that was, my, that was yeah. the case for me. Um, I, I don't know that it's exclusively the case. Um, you know, I, I have found um, in any number of cases, you know, there have been... Um, Women in my life that I, I learned an awful lot from, um, and that I, you know, really valued and really appreciated. Um, but that's what, this, as I'm as I'm thinking through, as I think about this mentorship, yeah. that's the piece that all of those guys contributed to me. So, yeah. and, and maybe that might have been sort of the most the most hungry part of myself, or something. Yeah, and exactly. That's when I think of people in my life, it's the same thing. What does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a husband? And that just was the natural way. I think when vocation might be one, I mean, depending on the field that you're in, that you may have sort of mentoring relationship. That's kind of why my mind went, went to that. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a great question. There's probably so much more we could say about that. But This is a comment more than a question, but somebody said, we cannot hide Brian from us any longer. Don't worry, he's coming back. Don't worry. <laughs> Please don't wait. Is it okay to have a mentor? How many has he missed? Not a Christian? Just two. Uh, all right. What's that? Is it okay to have a mentor that's not a Christian? I'm mean, not sure. I hope so. That yeah. is, I mean, right, because like I, I have one, but I think that there's a lot, like all truth in the world is God's truth. And there can be some people who are not Christians who still, by God's common grace, see the world the way that he's kind of designed it to be. So there can be a ton of, not just practical wisdom, but um, really important like life lessons, I think, that can be gleaned from people who would be totally against God, I guess. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's important, having a, a, and that's actually kind of one of the things we haven't talked about, but having a wide variety of, of mentors, different ages, different kind of context is one of the things again going back to like getting out of your own echo chamber so to speak you're able to hear all sorts of different positions and perspectives and so it really is, is helpful to have as many different um, people that you look up to and admire in different contexts I would say should your mentor be someone you have a lifelong or significant connection with what if you lack those kinds of relationships well, it's certainly, I mean, it, it's, it's a, a kind of a massive value added. Um, and, and, but um, 
but no, I mean, like there are people that come into your lives at certain moments of your lives, for certain um, uh, for certain periods of your life um, that can have a huge mentoring impact on you, um, and and then disappear from your life. Um, so, um, no, I, I don't think it's great if you get a lifelong mentor, but. Um, but it's not, I, I wouldn't see it as part of the definition of a mentor. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that's a great word on just, and, and thinking about pouring into those who may be looking for uh, people, you know, further back on the line. So if you're pouring into them, not wasting even a, a small amount of time, because God can really do stuff that's powerful in just a short period of time. Um, I've seen that working with college students. It's a four-year thing, and they go away, and that's kind of it, but. Some of those people in my life, like that college minister, he's meant the world to me, and it, it's okay to have seasons, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Does a mentor need to be local? That's an interesting question. There probably needs to be some season of, of, you know, um, proximity, um, but. But no, it's not a requ I wouldn't think it's a requirement. Um, all the mentors that I've had, I've, I've been in proximity to for a season of my life, um, and then for whatever reason, I've just been able to maintain those relationships, um, almost always in a mentor form. Um, they, they, they kind of, by nature, transform more and more into, into just friendship as you mature, um, but but you know, there'll never be a world in which, like Jerry Root, as good a friend of, he, as, of mine as he is, he will never not be a mentor to me, right? I mean, I'm not worthy to untie the laces of his shoes, you know, so <laughs> uh, he's just an amazing human being, so. Yeah, I was thinking, particularly, it'd be really hard not to kind of get to that place of that relationship forming without being local. Again, if you think about uh, in the New Testament, Paul telling, the church to imitate me as I imitate Christ and like it trying to imitate a mentor is really hard to do when you're not doing life alongside of them and so the importance of being local at least at the start of that relationship is, is pretty key I mean I maybe it's possible I guess but I would say nine times out of ten you're going to be watching and having in-person conversations interactions with them What's a personal experience that has made you more confident in God? We finally got out of the mentoring a question. Personal? Yeah. So, so <laughs> give me the question one more time. What is a personal experience that has made you more confident in God? Confident? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'll say raising kids um, really made me, um, and particularly, so um, Beth and I, we, we have five kids. Um, our oldest three children are biological and then our youngest two daughters are adopted. Um, and uh, adoption for me, um, I, I think Beth would echo this, but I, I, I'm not gonna put any words in her mouth. Um, it, 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 was, uh, it was transformative in a way 
that the that the process of having your own babies wasn't um, in that you you really are bringing somebody who is outside of your family um, into your family and making them one of your own. Mm -hmm. You know, there there was a season in which I felt like we were doing something really cutting edge and really you know sort of out there for the kingdom by we, we adopted two girls. Um, who were Chinese and who had special needs, and I felt like we were like really reaching out there with sort of kingdom values, and and it didn't take long till they just became our daughters, right? I mean, there was no more of that. Like like they were just our daughters, just like our older two boys were our sons, and our middle daughter was our daughter. Like, and 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 in that process, realizing that that's what the Lord had done for me. I mean, Romans eight, you know. Um, Paul says that we are um, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. And so, and then he talks about how we were adopted into the family. Um, and and coming, coming to realize that the God of the universe could love me um, and could love me as his own, um, could love me with the same love that he had for his eternally begotten son um, because he had adopted me into my family. Um, and I, I had this experience of, you know, I have these two girls in my, in my home that, that were born across the globe from me. Um, and, and coming to that place where they're, they're my daughters. You know, they're not my adopted daughters. They're not, you know, like um, that, that gave me this appreciation of, this sense of, um, and a confidence in God's love for me that I could have, I don't know that I would have come up with any other way. Um, I think there are other avenues to get to it. I don't know that I would. Um, but, um, you know, when, when, when Jesus comes out, up out of the water at his baptism, the, the voice from heaven, his heavenly father says, you are my beloved and in you my well, I am well pleased. What, what God says to his eternal son is, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And, and to, to think that in Jesus, the God of the universe looks at me and says, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Like growing into that, I grew into that through adoption. That, that experience gave me a confidence in, in who God is and who I am um, before God and in relationship to God that I don't know that I would have come up with. So, similar to that, uh, but not with children, I was going to say, um, certainly experiences in marriage uh, have been, mm. been ways that I've become more confident in God's love. Um, well, I have one, like, little uh, less serious story, but, like, when starting out in ministry, my wife said, the one thing you shouldn't do is plant a church, because I just don't think you can raise money. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, I agree with you, I shouldn't probably do that. And so... Uh, then the Lord opened up these doors to go do college ministry, and it was, oh, by the way, but we can't pay you, uh, you'll, we, but we can coach you to help raise money. And <laughs> so I was like, well, we do miss, uh, we both love being around young people and, and ministering in that way. And so I told her this, and I thought she was just going to, I was like, well, how about this? Just imagine that if it was paid, and we'll go and we'll do it. Um, and like the first paycheck that doesn't, like if it's not the first time we don't get a full paycheck, I'll quit. I'll do something else, I promise. <laughs> Every time, I mean, there'd be times it would be like, you know, those stories where people would be like, 
there's a hundred dollar check that just anonymously showed up in my mailbox. I'm like, yeah, but no. Right. And there were actual things that happened like that that were just kind of wild. Now, that, that, those were more trivial, and that definitely caused me to have confidence in God's, um, in, in, in my relationship with God. But I think in the more meaningful ones where you're grasping God's love, I think my natural tendency has always been to, okay, we're saved by grace, like God loves us no matter what. But it's really up to us to kind of like ultimately warrant that to stay in his favor. We need mm-hmm. to like be really good. You got to behave. And so about a year into marriage, I had done something that I was like, I've got to tell my wife this because she didn't know and it was terrible and I had no idea how she was going to respond. And I actually very, very much feared that she would, um, I really had no idea that she could just be like, we need to take some time apart or whatever. So I told her, and I'll never forget, like, she just leaned in on the couch, and she was like, I hear what you're saying. I want you to know that I love you no matter what, and there's nothing that's going to keep me from working through this with you. And I just lost it right there, I mean. But that was a glimpse of, like, fighting back against that mentality of, well, God, yes, loves me, but at the end of the day, it's because I've earned it in some ways. And when I realized at that moment... Like, those were the times where my confidence in God's love were unlike anything else. Yeah. Maybe one more? Does the bishop have any thoughts on missing church regularly because of weddings and other <laughs> weekend events that are out of town? I do. <laughs> but, uh, like, here's what... I just don't think as human beings we're good at this in any phase of our life, and that is recognizing that we're in phases of our lives, you know? Um, And so, like, you'll go through phases where every single person you know is getting married every weekend, you know, and you're just, it takes you out of life. And, And if that was to become the pattern of your entire life, you would not have a very good life. But there's a season in your life where that's just what you do. That's who you are. That's who your friends are. That's where you are, you know? Um, when, when Beth and I, when we had a bunch of little kids running around the house, um, you know, there were times when um, it, it was just hard to be married, right? And I mean, not, not because of anything that she did, there were probably lots of things I did to her, but not because of anything she did, but like, you know, you come home at the end of the day and your kids are screaming and you finally get to put, you know, to bed or whatever, and then dis- you discover, lo and behold, you're exhausted, and so you go to bed and, you know, and you don't talk to each other, and like you just feel like these little kids are, are making us grow apart. And and I have so many couples who come to me, that, well, as a bishop it's less, when as a pastor it happened all the time. They come to me and they say, you know, our marriage is on the rocks. And I would say, is your marriage on the rocks, or are you in a phase? Are you in a phase where that's just what life is like? I mean, that, like that's the cost of having little kids, and you'll get through that phase. Um, and so we're just not good at allowing ourselves to live in the phases that we're in and not sort of piling guilt on ourselves because we're not meeting some standard that, you know, either ourselves or somebody else set for us. Um, and, and so it's always a good question to step back and ask, am I creating a pattern that I think I'm going to live in for the rest of my life, which is not a good pattern? In that case, stop. Or am I in a phase of my life that that's just who I am? That's the age I am, that's the place I am. And if that's so, live into it not feeling guilty about whatever it is that you're missing. Because that's just, that's who you are, where you are in life. So, I don't know if that's helpful. 
that question was specifically about the bishop, so I feel really offended. Nobody wants to know my thoughts on this. I was going to completely disagree with all of <laughs> Yeah, that was a dumb You should answer. go to church, yeah. no matter what. <laughs> no, that was good. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for coming. This was a lot of fun. You're a busy man, and I appreciate your time tonight. Well, so, uh, Don't worry, Brian McGreevy will be back in he two will weeks. Back. We'll hear all about his venture to the Shire, where he saw the hobbits and all that stuff. And It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, again, thanks for coming. Feel do, free to do hang you, out. Do you follow? Well, actually, he doesn't have a Facebook. Well, if he has a Facebook page, he never posts to it. But his wife, Jane, has a Facebook page. Anybody follow her Facebook page? Because yep. she... she <laughs> what? We have his daughter here. <laughs> Wait. She where? She does it when she goes abroad. Is that right? Mary Hollis is over there. Is that Mary? I didn't see you over there. Surprise! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway... So she posted, you know, at Addison's Walk in at Modeling College Oxford, you know, I mean, Brian is in, in, in sort of the Brian McGreevy heaven right now. Yeah, you know, yeah, sort of left it there. But like, I mean, Addison's Walk, that's where Lewis and Tolkien walked along and, and Tolkien was telling Lewis, you know, he's, you love this myth of the dying and rising God and yet in the one place in, in history where it actually happened, you want to have nothing to do with it, you know, like, like just a week or so ago, Brian McGreevy was walking Addison's Walk. Can you imagine anything better for him? Uh, you know, he was in Lewis's actual like apartment. His room. I mean, it was just in his room. It's crazy. I mean, and and amazing. he solved. Did you? Did, did, he solved a mystery in uh, Lewis studies. So there's some there's some arguments about whether what was the event. There was some conversation. I think it was it was with uh, Hugo Dyson and Lewis. Um, and it may, may have been talking as well because they were always together. Um, but but the question is, which of Lewis's three rooms at Maudlin College did this conversation happen in? And Brian was talking to um, one of the guys that, that was there at Oxford and says, he says, well, in the preface to whatever book, Lewis talks about that conversation and says he was looking out over the something or another, and you can only do that if you're in this room. And the guy was like, Oh my gosh, that's right. That's, you know, that's amazing. so anyway, you have to get Brian to tell that story because I probably made it, you know, I have this habit of taking really good stories, but making them <laughs> epic. And because um, I always say, like, what are facts among friends? And um, but um, but it's a great story. Get Brian to tell it. Well, I'm sure we could probably spend the whole time just hearing about his adventures oh, you will. this week. It'll you will. Yeah. He'll find a way to work it into every exactly. answer, no matter what. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Feel free. Uh, we'll, we'll hang out for a little bit. You don't have to totally leave, but um, if you do have more questions, come talk to us. It'd be great. But thanks. We'll be back in two weeks. So thanks for coming.